It's great to see you. If you don't know me, my name's Ben. I'm part of the team here at this church. I'm one of the elders, and I have the great privilege of uh, helping to lead this site. We're a multi-site church with sites here in Cottenham and in Bradley Stoke. And I'm about three weeks back from a sabbatical over the summer. I had the wonder and the glory of having extended time off. And I think time away gave me kind of fresh appreciation uh, for our church. Uh, I love the people in this church. I think we have some remarkable people. I love the kind of what we have here, the, the sense of freedom in worship, our commitment to God's Word, um, a real desire for us to reach the city, to tell people about Jesus and to make a difference. And I just want to say thank you to the church for giving me that time to kind of be away, uh, to, to investigate other things, to reflect. Um, and I really think it's been an investment in me and us as a family. Uh, I'm married to Jess. She was hosting this morning, if you don't know us. Um, yeah, and I hope that this time will benefit us as a church. Now, at the start of my time, at the beginning of June, I, it was fantastic to visit the southwest of the United States with James Lee, who was, who's on the team here and was leading worship. Um, and we visited uh, Grace Midtown and North Point in Atlanta. Then we hopped over to Elevation in Charlotte in North Carolina and then down to Seacoast in South Carolina. But, uh, and we, we visited churches and met with leaders and it was inspiring and challenging and provoking. But don't worry, we didn't uh, work all the time. We did have one day off, and we got to go river rafting uh, in the Smoky Mountains. Uh, and, oh, yeah, that's the action shot. So there's six of us in a dinghy. James and I are on the front, and uh, we had a guide who was kind of steering at the back with his paddle, and it was like Jack Black was our, our rafting guide. And, and anyway, this is the action bit, but before that, it was kind of very sedate, very gentle, grade one or grade two rapids, if you're into that kind of thing. But then there was a moment where he said, get ready. Um, and I think I'd been lulled into a false sense of security. So there were times where I had my feet up on the side of the dinghy. Um, James and I had gone in for a swim because it's like we're not really even getting wet, you know, so we'd, we'd done all that kind of stuff. But he says, get ready. And at the end, there is a grade three rapid, and they call it a hydraulic because it kind of, the water kind of cycles on itself. I'm not really up on this stuff. And it's about a nine foot drop over uh, a rock, and that's what creates the rapid. Um, and so we start going over, and, and Jack Black, as I call him, um, says, lean right. And I'm on the right-hand side, and I'm thinking, if I lean right, I'm in, because the, the dinghy's like this. Um, and so I lean left, and basically, he'd completely misjudged it. And so we, we were up like that, and even though I was leaning left, I was in. And 
in the middle of this rapid with two, let's just say, older and slightly larger ladies than me. Um, all three of us on that side of the raft were in. Um, and it was utter chaos and, and quite fun. So I'm, I'm under the water, uh, I, it's sort of, and it's like, oh, I didn't expect to fall in. And the water's really cold. And, and I don't quite know where I am because there's water swirling all around me. My knees are hitting boulders, um, which I'd kind of forgotten. It could, but they say, you know, if you fall in, lie back, because then you don't hit anything under the water. Um, but anyway, and, so, and they have a carefully positioned photographer to capture these moments. Hence, I've got photographic evidence to show you. So there I was in the raft, and then here I am, I'm gone. Uh, and you can't really see James's face there, but he's kind of thinking, is Ben dead? Uh, will I ever see him again? Am I happy about this fact? Um, maybe some of you felt like that while I was on sabbatical. Anyway, um, so they, they kind of, uh, they're there to photograph this glory moment, but it was in fact our, it captured our moment of disaster. So aren't you glad that they had a photographer? And so you get back to the kind of rafting center, um, and you know what it's like when you do these things. They, you know, they, they show you the photos, and then they say, oh, it's $20 for one photo, it's $25 for two photos, and it's about $3 million if you want all of your photos. So James and I, you know, being the big spenders that we are, we're like, are we going to get one photo or two photos between us? And, and we're in the queue um, to, to pay for a couple of photos, and there's a, there's a guy in front of us called Mark, who we just met. Um, he wasn't part of our raft. He'd been rafting that day, and we'd just met him. And he'd said, oh, hi, how are you doing? What are you doing in the States? And we'd said, oh, we're pastors, and we're visiting some churches. And I don't think he was a churchgoer, but he was like, oh, that's great. hope you're enjoying it. And anyway, he's in the queue, and he says, I'm going to get all your photos. Um, and it's like, oh, you know, just, I wasn't prepared, I wasn't prepared to fall in the, in the river, and I wasn't ready for just incredible generosity from someone that i just met five minutes before, didn't know me, but just, and that kind of generosity really epitomized our whole trip, just people being generous with their time, making themselves available to us, being hospitable, and I felt very provoked that that's how I want to be to other people. I want to be big-hearted and generous, and I think that's who God wants us to be as a church. That's, that's what we want to build here, a church that is open and accessible for anyone in Bristol. And we'll even let people come along who, are not, who don't live in Bristol, because we're that big-hearted, aren't we, Andy? So what's the point? The, the reason that I tell you that story is because I wasn't ready to fall in and I wasn't prepared for amazing generosity. I think sometimes we can look around, maybe it's in the place where you work or just in the city where we live, and we can feel underprepared for the size of the task before us, can't we? We can think, 
what on earth can I do that's going to even scratch the surface to make a difference in this place? I felt led to speak on a particular passage this morning from Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus tells his followers exactly what they're supposed to do. And I think it's telling us exactly what we are supposed to do. I feel like it's kind of like a getting us ready for what God wants us to do. Now, you may be here today and you're, you're not sure what you believe, and you are really, really welcome. This, these kind of services are not just for Christians or people who have grown up in church, but this is for you. And I hope as we look at the things Jesus has to say, that there will be helpful things for you that will serve you in your life. So before we read those verses that I'm going to speak from, let me just take a moment to give you some background. So these uh, verses are from Matthew's Gospel. Who was Matthew? He was one of Jesus' disciples, otherwise known as Levi. He was a Jewish tax collector, so he was a Jew collecting taxes on behalf of the Romans. Maybe wasn't that popular. Um, he was primarily writing his gospel to Jews to show that Jesus was the fulfillment of lots of things that had been written about in the Old Testament. And in the first few chapters, we hear about Jesus' birth and early ministry. And then in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, we get the Sermon on the Mount, you know, blessed are the poor in heart, and uh, loads of teaching about being salt and light, and even James's talk last Sunday was kind of a story at the end about build your life on the rock, build your house on the rock, build your life on Jesus Christ. And then at the end of Matthew chapter 7, it says this in verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. In those three chapters, five to seven, Matthew's kind of told us all about Jesus' teaching and concluded by saying Jesus had authority. You see, there's a difference between knowing the law and being the law. Jesus is the authoritative word of God. He's the one who spoke light into being, who called Lazarus out from the grave and Jesus has authority, not just in his teaching, but also in creation. And in chapter 8, we hear about various miracles that Jesus did. He healed a man with leprosy. He healed the centurion's servant who was paralyzed. He even healed Peter's mother-in-law. I mean, who heals mother-in-laws? Just remarkable. Miraculous. He uh, healed many who were plagued by spirits or who were physically sick. And we're even told in chapter 9 that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. You may be here today and you think, I've done things that I'd never want anyone to know. And you think, how on earth could I ever be forgiven? And yet Jesus is the one who has authority to forgive sins. That's what Jesus is all about. He came to set people free from sickness and sin and to bring everyone hope. 
So that's the context, and we're going to read from Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 35, if you have a Bible, or there it is on the screen behind me. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've already been speaking to us this morning. And we thank you that even for those of us where these are familiar words in the Bible, that actually you can bring them to life by your Holy Spirit, that you can animate them in our hearts, and that you can change us. God, we pray that these words today, that you've spoken to us already about truth, let this truth be like seed in our hearts that would bear fruit in our lives this week and in the months to come. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look very quickly at what Jesus said, what Jesus did. So firstly, he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. The word uh, translated proclaim is also used of like a herald in a city, someone announcing news with authority, not fake news, but more like an ambassador or a spokesperson who is relaying the truth. Um, John the Baptist, you could say, uh, heralded God's kingdom, but Jesus is unique because he's both the herald and also the king. He's the messenger, but he's also the message. He's telling people, the kingdom's here now. I'm the king, and my kingdom has started. So what is the kingdom? Well, it's not a physical or a military kingdom, but a kingdom of love, mercy, righteousness, and peace. It's made up of people who call Jesus their king, and they themselves can bring that kingdom and do the things that Jesus did. And it's an expanding kingdom. So it started with Jesus, but actually it was foretold by many different prophets in the Old Testament. One of them, Isaiah, talked about uh, a government that would be on this child's shoulders, Jesus' shoulders, and the, of the increase of his government and peace, there would be no end. We heard about the kingdom of God at West Point this year, and if you weren't able to be there, I'd really encourage you uh, to listen to some of those talks. They talked about the kingdom of God is like small as a mustard seed, like you could miss it, you, could, it's, you can hardly see it, and yet, the mustard seed grows to become one of the largest plants or trees 
in the garden. Or it's like a small stone that's cut out but gradually grows to fill the whole earth. God's kingdom will eclipse every other kingdom on earth. The Roman Empire, the British Empire, the EU, any other empire that will come along, God's kingdom will fill the whole earth. And every follower of Jesus is part of that kingdom. I think in our kind of tradition of churches, we've had a strong kind of theology or view of church. Church is the place, the gathered people of God where his presence dwells. Kind of uh, Sam alluded to that this morning, uh, that we're to be salt and light, that we're to be a place where everyone can come in and encounter God for themselves and have their lives changed. I think we've had an amazing view of church. I think we've not always had such a strong view of the kingdom. And that's what I found so helpful at West Point, that it's like here now we're, we're the gathered church, but then through the week we go, we scatter, and we are the kingdom. We bring the kingdom of God. We are Jesus in the place where we are. But Jesus didn't just talk about the kingdom. He demonstrated it. Wherever Jesus went, amazing things happened. Sick people got healed. Tormented people were set free. And even dead people came back to life. Matthew writes in verse 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus has power and authority to heal. It's one thing to hear that Jesus can heal. It's an entirely different thing to experience healing yourself or to see someone you love healed. This isn't just theory. Actually, the kingdom of God is a transformational reality. It's not just intellectual assent to a certain kind of ideology, yeah, we're, we're going to follow the way of the kingdom of God. No, actually, this is a relationship with a person, Jesus Christ, who has power to change lives. The next verse says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, this king, Jesus, has compassion. He cares deeply. The root word there for compassion is like filled with tenderness. It's like a gut-wrenching emotional reaction. When I see someone out who hasn't got anywhere to stay in the freezing cold in Bristol, I should be deeply moved with compassion for them. When I see a child who's not loved or properly cared for, that should, that should shake me, that should move me and stir me. When you're moved with compassion, that is a sign of God's kingdom coming in your life, moving you to action. Who do you know who's harassed and helpless. It may be someone you work with. It may be a family member, a friend, or a neighbor. 
Maybe you're here today and you're in despair about your life and you need to see or hear some good news, some hope for your life. Well, Jesus is the one who changes people's stories. I didn't grow up going to church. I didn't grow up knowing Jesus, but in my late teens, I encountered him, and he completely changed my life. My life was going in one direction that was maybe okay, but actually now my whole life revolves around Jesus Christ. He's changed my story. For many of us, we were hopeless and helpless, but Jesus came to rescue us. That is the good news of the kingdom. The king gave himself up to die on the cross so that we who'd been exiled from God's presence by our sin and the shame of the things that we'd done wrong could be welcomed back into his kingdom, restored as part of the people of God, as part of his family. And we know this to be true because Jesus didn't just die, but he rose from the dead. He broke the power of sin in our lives. So we're free to know him and we're free to live our lives for him. And now we have that same hope that we can hold out to other people. So what is Jesus asking of us? In verse 37, Jesus identifies a problem. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's not enough workers, not enough people who are prepared to do the things that Jesus did. So in verse 38, he provides a solution. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray earnestly. There's nothing casual about praying earnestly. It's not, oh God, if you feel like it, perhaps you could maybe do something. When you fear for your life or the life of someone you love, there's an urgency and a conviction and a boldness that comes through in the way that you pray. When I uh, worked at GlaxoSmithKline, who make pharmaceuticals and uh, health drinks or not-so-healthy drinks and toothpaste and things like that, they had a whole load of behaviors for how the, you know, the company was going to operate. And one of them was urgency. So not an it-can-wait mentality, not a drifting, we'll-see-what-happens approach, but intentionally taking action taking responsibility and getting on with things. And I think we need to develop a sense of urgency in the way that we pray. I think sometimes we can view prayer like our homework when we were at school. We can think it serves no purpose, but we're supposed to do it, and we do everything we can to try and avoid it. But God has done everything for us in sending Jesus to die in our place. But he does ask something of us. He says, don't be passive, but be active in prayer. C.H. Spurgeon said, prayer is the slender nerve 
that moves the muscle of omnipotence. We're not praying into thin air. Oh, maybe, you know, if we ask someone, maybe they'll do something. We're asking the Lord of the harvest, the boss, the one who's in control. When you're praying for someone, you're, uh, you're praying to the one who made them, who knows them through and through. It's not like a, oh, well, we'll see what happens. If I pray, things are going to happen. There's going to be fireworks. There might be explosions. Who knows what's going to happen in this person's life? Excuse me for getting passionate. I think God is passionate about us coming to him and talking to him in prayer. So I want to challenge you and I want to challenge us to take Jesus seriously and pray. If you want to see lives transformed, are you going to pray earnestly? I've got two practical suggestions for you. One is an app that I've been using recently. It's called Prayer Mate. Don't worry, I'm not on commission. Um, but it's, it's a really simple thing. It's basically an app that gives you a list of things to pray for. And you can adjust it and say, oh, you know, for my family, I want to pray for this person and that person. For my friends, I want to, you know, whatever it may be, situations. And you can adapt it and adjust it. And then each day, it kind of jumbles those up and gives you things to pray for. I've found, to my shame maybe, I've prayed more consistently and persistently in the last few months because of doing that than I ever have before. And so if you struggle to pray, maybe you should consider uh, something like that. You don't have to use that one. Or if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're, you're thinking, what is this guy talking about praying? Why don't you pray and just say, God, if you're real, why don't you show yourself to me? What could the harm be in praying that prayer? And just see, just see what happens. Secondly, um, I think God wants to challenge us about how we're praying as a church. That, uh, you know, we, we pray uh, regularly at our up Sunday evenings. We worship and we pray. Um, we had a weekend of prayer earlier in September. But I think God wants to raise the temperature in our corporate prayer life. And so uh, there's kind of no perfect solution to this. There's no perfect time that we can find. But I feel like I want us to do something. So we're going to have a monthly opportunity just for the Cotton site. And no pressure, but an invitation from me that if you want to come and pray, then please come and pray. We're going to do it on a Saturday morning for an hour. We're going to do one in October one in November, and one in December. And we'll let you know more details about that. It might be at my house, so it might be a bit of a squeeze if too many of you turn up, or we might do it down here at the Elm Grove. Um, but I think there is an opportunity for us to come and pray, and God wants to raise our sense of urgency for that. So, Jesus asks us to pray earnestly, and secondly... He asks us to answer the call. Jesus said, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He wants to make us workers in his kingdom. 
effectively to answer our own prayer. We pray for workers, but then actually we can be those ones who do the work. A bit like Isaiah, when he sees the Lord in chapter 6 of Isaiah, and he says, here I am, send me. That's what Jesus is asking of us. And when it, when it says send out workers, the word there is literally like thrust out. It's, there's an urgency even in that. There's an urgency in God's mission. If you see someone drowning, you don't think, oh, I'll just go, I'll just go and get a coffee. I'll wander back around in 15 minutes and see whether they're still there flailing in the water. There's an urgency, isn't there? You, you know, if you're an action man like Pete Torrance, you're in. You know, you, you probably don't even take your clothes off. You're just, you're just in to rescue. Or you look around and maybe there's a life ring or a lifeline and you throw it in, doesn't it? That is the sense of throw out workers. It's like urgency. Do it. Get on with it. Imagine a field that's ripe for harvest but there's no one working on it. There's no combine harvester. There's, there's no one with a scythe or sickle. And then the Bristol rain comes, and it all gets wet, and it goes over, and it starts to rot. And all that field, all that harvest goes to waste. Do you think maybe there's a window of opportunity that we have Maybe you're, in a cert- you're at university and you're there for a certain amount of time and then you're moving. Maybe you're on a work placement and you're with that group of people and then you probably won't have contact with them again except on Facebook. Or your, your time here in Bristol, maybe it's a limited window. Or maybe just our lifetime. Or that person's lifetime. You may, it may be a really good friend, but in two weeks' time they might get run over by a bus. You don't know what your window is, but shouldn't there be an urgency in us to be the workers in God's harvest, to share the good news about Jesus? He's the boss. He's the Lord of the harvest, and he's placed me in a certain part of the field, and he's placed you in a certain part of the field. I don't want him to think I'm indifferent or lazy. Do you? God invites us to be involved in rescuing people. So are you ready to answer the call? There's no greater privilege than to participate in God's mission, to do the things Jesus did, to tell people the good news, to demonstrate the kingdom, to offer to pray, to have compassion, and help to change the story of Bristol. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is ready, but are we ready? We've got lots of opportunities in the coming weeks to throw out seed, to maybe harvest people and welcome them into God's family. One of them is the Ask God series. So we're doing a teaching series in October and November where we want to address the questions that people in Bristol 
are asking. And we've got postcards that I think they're available today. Is that right? Yeah, we've got postcards available today. So you can take a postcard, here it is, um, and you can give it to a neighbor or a work colleague. And you can say, oh, I'm part of a church. We're just wanting to know what questions people have, and then we want to try and talk about those questions. And they can fill it in and give it back to you, or they can post it in themselves, or they can go online and uh, on our website and submit a question anonymously, or they can use social media, but obviously people will then see who, who submitted the question. There's also our events week, first week of October. We've heard notice about it already, but I just want to challenge us. You know, is there one person that you could invite to one of the events during that week or to the Ask God series? Or could you fly a one street with flyers that we've got? Or could you take part in one outreach session? Or could you take a day to just pray and fast and see what God might do with people? Imagine if we all prayed earnestly and if we all answered the call. Imagine hundreds of people coming along and maybe hearing about Jesus for the first time, or having a question that's always been an obstacle to them, having that question maybe not fully answered, but moved on, and, and that obstacle kind of removed. I believe as we pray and as we answer the call, we'll see him do remarkable things this year. Can we stand together? And the band are going to come back. Father, I just want to pray a really simple prayer this morning. Lord, I want to ask for each one of us. You, you know where we are, Lord. You know our story. You know whether we feel like we're the world's greatest evangelist or whether we feel like we're an utter failure and we have nothing to offer. Thank you that the truth is that you're the Lord of the harvest and you're calling us to pray and to work with you. And God, I want to pray for every single person here that you would use us to share your message. Call us deeper into prayer. Help us to answer your call. Lord Jesus, I thank you that our confidence is not in ourselves or in our ability or what we have to offer, but we're confident in you the Lord of the harvest, the King of kings, the, ones, the one who knows us and the one who knows the people we're praying for through and through. God, won't you ha come and have your way? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.